And we're live. What's up, everybody? I'm here with Meg Emery. Same last name. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> so you're my sister. I am. I'm glad we have that on recording. Every yeah. time you try to disown me, I'll just play it back. <laughs> yeah, I can't disown you anymore. It's, <laughs> it's official. It is. Um, so what's going on? Uh, what do you do? What do you do? Let everybody know what you do for this business. So currently, I run the whole swim department. If it's um, anything swimming, it comes across me at some point or other. We have a swim department. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we'll we'll just give the real quick summary yeah. of Meg's coaching with Old City Career, and then we'll then we'll dive deeper. So, okay. Um, you started off as a CrossFit coach, right? I did. I started off um, as Jim Jacobs assisted at five a.m., six a.m. And I assisted Aaron at 7 a.m. And then eventually I got the 7 a.m. class. And then I started coaching 9.30 at noon for you guys. Yeah. And I miss those days when I was done at noon. <laughs> it's not like till 8 p.m. at night. <laughs> yeah. So then, so then we started doing some CrossFit oh, Kids yeah. stuff, right? Yep. And I ran that with um, a couple of different coaches. KDR is one of them. And... Yep. Um, you as well, Sean, mm. his favorite thing in the world. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then we, then we were, then we sort of started, um, a swim lesson program just kind of out of the blue, right? No. First we started swim wad. Yeah. I remember that. The um, swim program for adults. Yep. Swim for, program for adults, both learn to swim and just getting away from the traditional swimming garbage yardage. Um, instead of adding CrossFit movements and in stroke technique work, it's yeah. just a harder program to find. Right. And then a client emailed us, you guys teach swim lessons? And the birth of the swim lesson <laughs> began. Yeah. And after then the, the swim lessons kind of kind of took off in a way that pulled you out of the gym, that pulled the, mm -hmm. you know made us made us realize that it was more important to teach swimming than to teach CrossFit to the kids. Um, and then. Now it's now it's a now it's a thing. Now it's a real thing. Yeah, it's a real thing with a real long way. Yeah. So you so you're the the program manager of that whole department, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. <clears throat> What's been the most challenging thing for you kind of personally to learn and to to grow with as, you know, shifting from a coach and then being, you know, a leader and yeah. not that, not that a coach isn't a leader, yeah. but you know, going from someone who's doing some, doing some work, like showing up to class, instructing the class. And then two short years later, you're running a program in charge of, you know, 30 coaches <laughs> and hiring and firing and managing. And, you know, yeah. so what's been the most challenging part of that, of that journey? For me, it's been the growth. I've always been reluctant, but I've had some people pushing me say, Nope, you, we're ready. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to do it. Um, and then also not, not being the coach, me mm -hmm. being the, so the way some lessons are set up for those people that know, we have about 11 coaches in the water. We have people on deck managing the coaches and that's been my role, managing the coaches. And that's the hardest thing for me to, like, having to learn is to how to manage them when they don't necessarily do things the way I would necessarily do them, but they still work. They have great ideas. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's, 
the idea of um, if somebody does things correctly but differently, it's yeah. still correct. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I learned that. I learned that lesson in the Navy. Um, uh, I had a captain, Commander Westquin. He's he's an amazing captain, and <clears throat> he would always he would always come out and ask like, "Oh, why'd you make that decision? Or why'd you make this decision?" And regardless of you know, he he would even watch us make bad decisions that were still, or, or, you know, literally wrong decisions, but still that decisions that kept the ship safe, you know, not decisions that were going to run you aground or, you know, (laughs) put the crew at jeopardy or anything. He wouldn't watch that unfold and then come out and give you a teachable moment when the ship's on a, on a sand dune. (coughs) That'd be pretty funny, but. (laughs) (laughs) So he would, he would, uh, you know, like let a mistake happen and then he'd come out and then he'd ask, you know why'd you do that? How'd yeah. the, how this happen? How can we prevent it? And he, he would give us the freedom to make mistakes, learn from them, teach us about those mistakes and then grow from them. And I thought that was a really powerful lesson in, in giving, giving someone enough rope to learn, to learn how to, how to lead. Yeah. Right. And so it, it sounds like similar stuff is, you know, maybe not, you know, you're making all these mistakes and, <laughs> yeah. and people are coming up to you like, Meg, you're screwing up. But it seems like that's, that's what's happening with you. Yeah, definitely. That's cool. All right, so let's let's back up. What's it what's it like um what's it like working with your family? It, I actually like it a lot. Um at times, don't get me wrong, it's challenging because we just know each other really well, but that's also a blessing especially for me. Um everyone basically knows us. I'm dyslexic, so we definitely like we were in a meeting and it was something came around around and it was like Meg writing something (laughs) by herself is not going to be a productive use of her time. And it's just them knowing my strengths and my weaknesses and realizing that writing, or for me, in my case, writing doesn't play towards my strengths. For you, it's other stuff. We know what your strengths is because we know each other so well. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's a really really good point. Um, One thing thing for me that I like about you know, the idea of working with family is that, um, no one wants to ruin Christmas. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. a, there's a lot of pressure. Wait, I thought I already did that. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe we'll get to that. Um, but there's a lot of pressure in, you know, like not ruining Christmas. And the idea of that is I'm not going to, like if, if something happens and we have a disagreement or, you know, things, things go sideways in a little bit, if we were just regular business partners, then I might let my, my temper emotion get the best of me and say things that I regret. But because I have to see you at Christmas <laughs> and I like, I can't avoid you, then it forces me to be a little more, um, tempered in my yeah. responses. And it forces me to be a little more thoughtful with how I engage. Yeah. And then I started thinking, well, why don't I treat everyone like that? <laughs> like, like, why does that matter? And just so everyone knows, Sean's and I's relationship hasn't always been the best. Like, we we very much butt heads in almost everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so. so, like, this has also improved our relationship so much. Like, when we first started the business together, correct me if you think something different, um, Sean and I, he would, it's the typical big brother, little sister relationship, pick on me, call me stupid and all those other yeah. brotherly loving things. I mean, maybe not like when we started, <laughs> but like a few years before that. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, growing up, growing up with, uh, growing up with the Sean dog in the house, 
That I imagine that's tough. Yeah, luckily you got out when I was just in fifth grade or sixth grade. Yes, yeah, so we're six years apart. Yeah, six, seven. I'm six years older. Yeah. Ooh. I know. You were born in '88. I was. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. So growing up, you're you're my little sister. Obviously, I pick on you and I make fun <laughs> of you and I'm mean to you and I'm a jerk to you and. Oh yeah. Um, and then so we'll just kind of lay the whole whole framework. So. Aaron and I, my older sister, three years older, and then uh, Aaron and I started the business, and then we quickly brought Meg on as a coach, and then there's young little Molly, who's our tiny little baby, who was born in, uh, what, 90? So she's two years younger than you. (laughs) Yeah. And she, uh, yeah, now she's in Boston, so she's not really part of the business. We briefly hired her to be our uh, gym admin person, and we basically had to fire her because she was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Or you just need more timely responses. One or the other, and her full-time job didn't allow for that. That's probably a I got your back, Molly. So what's it like, what's it like growing up in that, in that family? Um, so growing up, I mean, I was always supported. Our family is very supportive, even when we are picking on each other. Uh, it's always it was full of laughs. It definitely like the younger sister Monopoly. Oh man, before me and Molly could read, uh, rules got made up. It's yeah. right here in the rule book. Just read it. Like no merging of. Two people with the name, the first name starts with M. Yeah, we would definitely take advantage. I, I'm going to say Aaron was <laughs> where Aaron was complicit, but it was probably just me. Um, take advantage of Meg and Molly's inability to read, and we would make up rules, and I'd pick up the rule book and start reading it. Obviously, I'd be making up any rule I wanted. I'd be like, read it. Read yeah. it for yourself. Mm. So I'm probably responsible for teaching you how to read, giving you the motivation. <laughs> <laughs> well, Molly claims the talk. She, um, I started speaking late, and it wasn't until Molly was born that I started really ta- putting words in sentences. Mm. Yeah. So you, you're dyslexic. You mentioned yeah. that earlier. Um, what, what is that? So dyslexia is if you hear me read something, I will add, take out words, make it make sense in my mind, but out loud, it doesn't necessarily come across fluid. It's just the way my brain's wired. It's wired differently than everyone else's, and it's a lot slower for me to read like stuff silently. If you see me write, it's pretty hysterical. Um, so, I mean, the the standard way people think about dyslexia is you mix up words and letters. And yeah, you, you kind of swap them. Yeah. Is that is that accurate? For me, yes, but I don't. Necess- I see the word, but I don't process it the same way. And like my brain will just like. If I see 10 words on the page, I might re-put them in different order, take them out, whatever makes sense to me. Okay, so it's not necessarily that, so it's not your eyes seeing things different. You see the word as it is. Yeah. But when the word goes to the brain, it goes through a jumbler. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I never thought about that one. And uh, And then it spits out. Something yeah. that makes sense to you that yeah. doesn't make sense to anybody <laughs> yeah. else on the planet. And then um, <laughs> with that also, um, I had delayed speech and I was in speech therapy from the age of three all the way to ninth grade when I was finally like, guys, it's as good as it's going to get. <laughs> yeah. So so 
delayed speech. So you didn't you didn't start because I I remember that you know you didn't start talking until what you were two Be, two and a half two and when a half. Molly was born. I was yeah, that's what mom told. Me. Yeah, and so and so then Molly comes along. And Molly's not dyslexic. <laughs> and Molly, uh, you could argue, has normal uh, <laughs> growth development. And so you're you're kind of like Molly's right on your heels in, in terms of age, but in terms of development, you know, yeah. you're kind of lockstep. So what's that like? What was you know what was that scenario? Um. So I actually started school a year late. So Molly and I are two years apart in age, and then going through school, she was always a year behind. <coughs> Which was interesting, but also had its challenges as well. It was fun Um, because we always had the same teacher. Like, we could have had all the same teachers. Right. But going with Molly just being so close to me in age, it, as we were younger, like, definitely tension and, like, everything. And then when it came to sports, she was always just a little bit better than me, like a lot better than me. Yeah. So Molly's super athletic. Yeah. (laughs) And you're not (laughs) athletic. I do my best. Well, it's, and we'll dive into it, but it's crazy because you're a testament to like how athletic people can become when they're not born with like what I would consider just general athleticism yeah. like Molly Aaron and I I think like could fall out of bed and you know do more athletic things than you yes definitely. you if you fall out of bed <laughs> it's probably because you're trying to get out of bed <laughs> yes um <laughs> yes I am very clumsy I broke my arm going uphill on a scooter and um broke my foot skipping across the gym floor thanks to a friend yeah but I mean within that within that clumsiness yeah. in in athletic in, you know in athleticism uh, I mean you swam at a collegiate level yeah you were the captain of a collegiate swim team yeah you're really good at CrossFit <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's it's you know people when when I talk to people and they're like oh I could I can never do a pull-up I'm not athletic or I could never do that I'm not yeah. athletic Look at him like, no, let me introduce you to the <laughs> least athletic person I know on this planet who's actually really athletic. Yeah. And it's, to me, to me, it's, it's, it's interesting how with no, like, y'all, Meg's athleticism is zero. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's be honest. Sean um, always says he'll only be on my team for two things, Lord of the Rings trivia and Harry Potter trivia. Right. Just, and I think I can add code names to that. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but yeah, trivia, not like. I'm I'm surprised every time Meg catches a ball that I throw at her. It's shocking. It's a moment of celebration. But to me, so if if you're starting with zero athleticism, I feel like people are going to listen to this and be like, man, Sean, you're a jerk. I know. But this is really a compliment. This is sincerely a compliment. When you it like, it's it's a it's a testament to how good you can get at something yeah. when you don't have those core skills, you know, in your pocket. Yeah. People say, oh, I, I can't do a pull-up. Uh, I'm not athletic. No, you can do a pull-up. Yeah. I can do a pull-up. Yeah, right? I literally, when I started CrossFit, in two th- serious CrossFit in 2011, when I graduated college, um, I could not do a pull-up. Um, literally, my coach um, at the time um, had me do a negative, and I, like, got up, like, jumped up to the bar, tried to hold my chin, and I was not, not even there for a second, and I came back down, and he's like, Meg, I told you to hold it. I was like, I can't. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. So and I, eventually, I I really wanted that pull up, and I got it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it. I remember watching you do a pull up and literally being shocked. I had to like take a knee and like think about life and regret all the bad things I've ever said about you. And it's it's really it's it's an it's it's an amazing thing. It's it's fun to it's fun to watch you obviously grow as an athlete and grow as a crossfitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's go back to you as a swimmer mm-hmm. and you as you know you as a kid. We were talking about like you kind of growing up with Molly. Yeah. Molly kind of like right at your heels. You're not really born with that general yeah. athleticism. Molly more so was. Mm-hmm. And you guys were fortunate enough to be born into uh, a family. Like Aaron and I, we were swimming all the time. Yeah. And so if mom and dad were taking us to the pool, well, Meg and Molly are coming. And since you're at the pool, you might as well swim as well. Yeah. And I think our swim club in Texas was uh, the fourth kids free. <laughs> yeah. So Molly didn't have a choice. She was obviously swimming. Yeah. So you both grew up as swimmers mm-hmm. and you're two years apart. A uh, year apart in school, so you're kind of going through that progression in the same way. Um, so, what was what was that like? You were sort of talking about how it was challenging for you to be, you know, to be the bigger sister, but to be kind of the yeah. behind in a way, yeah. you know, swimming so, or you know all these other things. So, Molly and I in high school, we actually swam basically the same events, both distance freestyle. She just has that more natural stroke, more elegant stroke, um, and I just had to work a little bit more for it, and I was never quite as fast, and there were some dinner conversations when Molly was talking about stuff, and I was like, I just can't do this anymore. Like, I would lose it because I was just so frustrated to where my younger sister was faster, but... So, she like, conversations like what she would be talking about? Like... Winning, doing, you know, doing good things. and Not necessarily winning. It's, like, something that, like, the senior group at, like, in Coburg, whatever it is now, um, our club team got to do and or different stuff like that. And it was, like, something to that effect. I don't exactly remember what. Yeah, yeah, but it would just be the, the the general idea that, I mean, you were, you are, and were certainly a great swimmer. Yeah, Molly was better. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, <clears throat> and so dealing with dealing with that dichotomy and and having to be at the dinner table, hearing someone you know who's talking about things that you want also. Yeah, exactly. You know, but yeah. your talent just didn't quite get you there. Yeah. So, but arguably because I didn't necessarily have that talent, I got to do other stuff. Like, um, I actually horseback ride, horseback ride, yeah, let's go with it, took horseback riding lessons until I broke my arm, and then for some reason I went back to swimming, man. <laughs> um, um, I started in Texas, and then we continued for about, uh, until eighth grade, and, huh. um. I didn't know that. You. Or maybe I forgot that. You, <laughs> you knew it, but because I had used it as a fact before. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but, I will forget that one again. <laughs> but so I got to do like I just continued exploring sports, whereas Molly did um, swimming and soccer, and then because her talents more were more focused on swimming, it went that way. And arguably, because I wasn't the best at swimming, like I was able to leave practice early and go coach in the summer. My book center, the my summer swim team, 
Like, at starting at the age of 15, <clears throat> yes, Molly did that, you, but... You ran the team? I didn't run the oh, team. I was, a, were... I was a junior assistant coach was technically my title. <laughs> sure, yeah, but still, all right, so you, so that's a, that's a really good point, and, and I think that's an interesting, like, there's... There's a really interesting story with with your life, Meg. <laughs> that's fascinating. And um, so, so you and you and Molly were in these high level swimming programs. But since Molly was better, she was you know in the more senior groups yeah. that required more training. Exactly. That, you know, got yeah. more coaching, and your level just wasn't there. And so you had more time. Yeah. And so with that time, you were horseback riding. You were uh, doing uh, this this coaching. So. Mm-hmm. Your first coaching gig was with the with the summer Summers. league swim team yep. in Virginia. Yep, and that's Berkshire Stingers. So you were working with that team for a few years. Um, so we, when we moved to the area, a couple things you always do as swimmers was first find a club team. <laughs> yeah, so you, we moved from. So when I went to college, we moved. The family moved from um, Texas up to Northern Virginia. Mm-hmm. How old were you guys? Um, I was in sixth grade. Funny story. I got demoted when I went up here because um, I started in Texas, and that was in middle school. So I had six weeks of middle school. Then when I went, when I moved to uh, um, Virginia. Sixth grade's part of elementary school. So I got demoted. So you went from middle school to elementary school? <laughs> so Sick I got two, middle, two elementary school graduations, though. That's pretty nice. <laughs> so when, we, when, when you moved to Northern Virginia, then you, um, you got set up with another club swim mm-hmm. team, Curl Burke, which yeah. is we left Alamo Area Aquatics, which was kind of uh, ran by this guy, uh, George Block, who's... I mean, the godfather of swimming. He's the president of the World Swimming Coaches <laughs> Association. Yeah. You know, when, when swim coaches go through Texas, they see Coach Block. He doesn't see them. <laughs> <laughs> and then you move to Northern Virginia with, with another, you know, godfather-type swim yeah. club, uh, Pete Morgan, right? Yeah. I never swam for Pete. I swam for Chris and Tolley, but yeah. But it, it's it's the Pete Morgan program, and yeah. Pete Morgan's oh, yeah. responsible for countless Olympians, and oh, yeah. you know a lot of a lot of great swimmers come out of Curl Burke, mm-hmm. um, including Meg Emmer. <laughs> Katie Ledecky's the current one. That's right. She's a Curl Burke person. Technically, now it's NCAP, but well, yes. Wow, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so your. You're going through high school swimming, you know, age group swimming, high school swimming, and Molly's sort of overshadowing you mm-hmm. in in the pool, and yeah. that's that's a challenging thing, but it also gave gave you more opportunities. Yeah. Um, was there any more challenge to it than just kind of? Um, especially like when rec- Molly Molly was very fast swimmer, love her. Um, she started breaking records, and like I I was never that fast. Um, I mean, basically, I was on the team one, the swim team for high school one year. Molly came in the next year, and basically, Molly started swimming in all the same events as me, and like we would compete. But swimming's an interesting dynamic to where you you're competing, but you're also competing against yourself. Yeah, like because, you have your own personal yeah, records, exactly. And you're you're in an event, but it's not like like Molly's performance or yeah. another swimmer's performance doesn't directly affect you. Like if yeah. you were wrestling together, yeah. then obviously one person's actions affect another person's. Yeah. But 
Um, so sorry. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but when she started <clears throat> getting those records, I remember seeing several meat sheets with M. Emery, and I'm Meg Emery, Molly Emery. It's the <laughs> same initials. So I would jokingly be like, oh, that's me. <laughs> like, to like friends who knew it was Molly. They would get laughs, but it, like, yeah. that was always so hard to see. And like, but I mean, ultimately, I think it made me like who I am. Like, Accepting defeat so well, not well, (laughs) but like just helping me accept it and stuff like that. Yeah, I got really good at accepting defeat. That sounds terrible. It does, but it also like just helps you build and like it helps you understand like okay, there's always going to be people better than you. How can you find the positive in this situation? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, the, the interesting thing is there's people better than Molly. You yeah, know? And exactly. there's always someone better than you. Yeah. Like, the odds of you being the best in the world, the odds of you being Michael Phelps, Katie Ledecky, are basically zero. Like, you're, yeah. you're not going to be that person. <laughs> yeah. And so learning how, to, learning how to overcome defeat, you know, I would imagine, though, it's a lot harder when, when – like what you're training for is there kind of at the dinner table every night, you know, yeah. like you're, you want those records, you yeah. want to win the races, you want the glory that comes with that, but you're not getting any of it. Yeah. Yeah, That's no, tough. it was very tough. But, um, also with that, I knew, so I swam for <clears throat> a small division three school called like coming college. Um, I started getting that when I went to like, mm. because I was, I found a team that I would be of my times fit in with and like competitive. Um, I held the 800, the 800 free relay record for a while. So you, you got M Emery. I, <laughs> so Molly's going up to like home and saying, like, check out my records. Yeah, it was Emery, <laughs> but yeah, I got it. Um, and like, I don't know if I know Molly never got it. And I know, um, I'm not sure about you and Aaron, but like we won a conference championship. Yeah. And so I started getting more of that stuff in college. And like, I was more, I was always on the, in my events, I was always the upper one in certain events. And like, I was never towards the bottom where in like high school, I was always middle to bottom. Yeah. If that makes any. For sure. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, so that's sort of the athletic journey, and that makes a lot of sense how, how it started to, you know, like you change the environment and surround yourself with, you know, anyway, it, it, that's, that's really cool. Was there any with the dyslexia and, you, you know, you were sort of talking about developing a little slower and being delayed a year in school, and was there any similar trajectory as as with the athletic with that you know I always thought it was better because I was a year older so I should have graduated high school in 2006 if I was like truly like with my year and I was always a year older and able to like I wouldn't have been ready in ninth eighth grade when I was in ninth grade. Like I should have been in ninth yeah. grade. But I wouldn't have been ready. Like where yeah. to where I w- could have been. Yeah. If that makes any yeah. sense. Yeah. No, totally. So <clears throat> delaying delaying a year just. <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. <clears throat> it doesn't just affect that that first year. Obviously, it's yeah. every single year you're you're you know not behind a year but delayed a year. However you want to think about it. Um, how did, how, how was the, the Meg Molly dynamic with that? You know, was it, was it similar stuff as with swimming where 
you know, it it was you and Molly are taking similar classes and you know grades. She, How's that? It it was interesting, but I, it, it, the only time it really came into play was math. Like I was always with everyone at the same thing, um, but math was I eighth grade. You could have opted for algebra. Um, my algebra teacher literally excited us a hundred problems per night and with how slowly I do stuff it wasn't feasible I was getting home I was going to swimming doing all this stuff it was 11 o'clock at night before I was even finishing that yeah so mom and dad and I all decided like it wasn't worth it and we went back to so Molly always was a like we were always on the same math track if that makes right. any yep. sense. <clears throat> so Molly was a year ahead of math, or yeah. Molly stayed with the the you know whatever the advanced track, yeah. whatever that track was with math, and then you slipped a year behind. Yeah, yeah. And so we were always on the same trajectory, which honestly didn't really affect. But where it would come in frustrating, it was like she not not necessarily anything I always said, but it was always frustrating to like. I would have to listen to stuff. I'm very, if I hear it, I remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Molly can just sit and read a book, like, really fast and, like, understand it. And, like, but I would have to listen, and that would just take more time. So it always took me more, longer yeah. to do my homework, yeah. which at times can be frustrating. Yeah, and studying for tests, and I would always have to start writing papers earlier and... When I was writing papers in high school, I would give them to my parents to proof, and man, was it, was it like mostly read? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, what's really interesting about school is is there's like Molly's a perfect example. She her talents are perfectly aligned with the way school is taught. You know, she can read books, she can do her homework, she can do her reading assignments, and then she can you know write the paper or whatever. Um, I'm a lot more like you with how I how I learn to learn, yeah. <clears throat> and it's I need to listen, I need to talk to somebody, and yeah. I need to have a conversation about a topic, and then I can really like it's in my head, it's there. Yeah. And when you go through school and you don't learn the way that you know Molly learns, you don't learn yeah. the way that school teaches you, you kind of feel like a dummy. Yeah, and that's that's tough. Yeah, it was so for me. I started school in San Antonio with um, an IEP, or whenever I got diagnosed, I had an IEP. For those who don't know what it means, I think it's individual lear- learning plan. Essentially, it's a common IEP. Oh, IE education plan. There we go. <laughs> um, it's a basically accommodations that I need to learn my best. And for me, it was always I always had the option of having tests read for me. And if that wasn't an option, it was extended time. So, like, the SAT, however long it normally is, I had time and a half. Mm. And, oh, man. You needed, you needed all that half. <laughs> I needed all the half, but it made for a really long day. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I forget how long the SAT is, but, like, right. time and a half on that. Yeah, yeah, that's challenging. So, so some struggles going through high school, some, a lot of struggles going through, you know, high school swimming mm-hmm. kind of with the Molly dynamic. Um, and then, so you, you go on to college, you're at like homing, the swimming scenario, like you were saying, gets, gets better. Yeah. Um, and then like, what's, what was the school situation when you got to college? It's a completely different world. Like unlike public schools or public schools where you have the IP you don't necessarily have that in college. You you have to be more of an advocate for it. 
And when I first got there, the guy who was in charge of all that stuff wasn't there. He was, like, kind of on sabbatical sick thing, mm. sick leave. He was my advisor, but, like, he wasn't there to kind of help and guide me. Yeah. And so it was, like, I got my first English paper back that I, like, had, like, we were only supposed to have an outline. I had the whole paper written. And, man, the teacher said, see me. And that's when I started, it's like, okay, I need to um, go see her. And then I also need to go and get all these accommodations and stuff set up so I can, so she understands what's going on and I need more help along the way as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's interesting. So how'd you, how'd you start to learn to kind of like advocate for yourself, you know? So I had started when I was in high school and really earlier, Um, But it's just making sure they know what I need because some tests I don't always need, like, every question out loud. I just need it when I don't necessarily understand a word or know what a word is. But with that, it's, it's just making sure, like, the teachers and everyone know you and know you're going to do your hardest and, like, understand this is just, uh, just in case. Yeah. And did you find that once you sort of learned the avenues for, like, self-advocation or whatever, then, um, like, things got easier? Or you just now had the had the tools or whatever to, to you know, do better? Both. It was a very... I mean, going to college, maybe not for... Naval Academy might be a little different. Hmm. Going to college is a very scary, like, you're now essentially by yourself. You yeah. no longer... You have the support, but they're not right there telling you what to do. And it's it's a completely different environment. Yeah. So I had to, okay, this paper's due now. This paper's not due until X date. The teacher wants an outline. I had the paper written because I knew it was going to take me that long to get the paper anyway. Yeah. And then it's also like freshman year, I didn't know who was good at stuff. So I went to the writing center. They didn't really... They didn't really understand what I needed. Like, yeah. they helped, but... Yeah, you had, to, you had to feel out the yeah. whole scenario. And you had to... And it was also finding friends who were awesome at grammar and, like, yeah. can help me understand, like, kind of get that writing that I needed. When when did you really lock down your learning style? Like, when did you start to realize that if you heard things, you remembered them? Was that, like, a high school thing? Was that a That was school? really early on. So there's this program called Recording for Blind and Dyslexic. Really? Yeah. Um, it's now called Learning Alley or something to that effect. Um, and I would get books on tape, and I would just read. I read most of Jane Austen by the time I was done with high school. Wow. Um, before I started coaching all the summers, um, I would literally sit on our porch, porch in Burke and, like, just read books. Wow. Just by, you know, the Li- audible by, listening. By, by listening to yeah. them. And that's um, Sean. One of the reasons Sean's will always be on my will always be on my team for Harry Potter is because I used to listen to book, like Harry Potter books, Lord of the Rings, like just over and over again instead of music. Right. So I like <clears throat> I can remember some of the Sorting Hat song of Year Four just because I heard it so much. Right. Yeah, because you're listening to these books. I mean, obviously, people who read the books and listen to the books on tape are listening for entertainment. Yeah. But you're just just on repeat yeah. like you finish it and then you start again you're like oh well let me listen to 
Like people are like, oh, I love this album for you know whatever. You're like, oh man, I love chapter four of, of book six. It's, oh man, this is a great chapter. Yeah. Hey, we're we're driving down to the farm or wherever. You wanna you wanna listen to chapter eight of, of book two? This is oh, this is a classic. You're gonna love this. Listen to the narration of this. It's it's yeah. It's cool. All right. So you so you sort of knew your learning style going into college, and mm-hmm. then it was just a matter of of uh, figuring out the right way to. Yeah to get what you needed to succeed. Yeah. So what'd you study? Oh man. Um, my degrees are in business administration and corporate communication. Then in business administration, I double tracked in marketing and management. Marketing, management, and business communication. Corporate communication. Corporate yeah. communication. So. And let me just say, it sounds like a lot, but the corporate communications d- degree came in junior year. I took one class, com. the first class and basically I had four more classes to make it a double degree and all like the electives and the CECOM were like part of my business degree so it just kind of worked out and I needed credit hours so I wasn't just taking pointless classes yeah that makes sense so you double majored I did double major I barely majored (laughs) and fun fact out of all the Emory's I had the highest GPA I believe yeah what would you would you graduate with Three five. Yeah. I graduated with a two one. <laughs> it was very low. I never got an A in college. Not oh, one. I did. <laughs> I didn't get one single A. Got a lot of C's and D's. I, a lot. <laughs> I don't. I got a couple C's and D's, but not not very many D's. My best semester, um, I got a three and it was all B's. Nice. I crushed it. Yeah. Was my, my best, best semester. semester. I took my the way Lyco set up is a full loads four classes, no matter what classes they are. Hmm. Um, and so one semester I was able to take three classes. I got two A's and an A minus. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Um, cool. So you so you you swam through you swam through all four years, uh, and you were you ended up being the captain of Lycoming, mm-hmm. right? How was how was that? Was that was being the captain of a team? Was that a different challenge, or was it just kind of more of the same? And it were- was a different challenge in aspect that I was also a freshman RA. So I was an RA my final two years of college, and the way like I set up, the <coughs> freshmen are in dorms of themselves, and the upperclassmen are all in the other dorms. Mm. Um, Lyco's 1500. You have to live on campus unless you live within 30 miles of the school. Right. I was just shy of that. It came (laughs) way far away. Um, But so it was really cool. Everyone was on campus. But with that is I was an RA in the freshman dorm. So like I have like more power in that regard because like people have to listen to me like in that regard. And then I'm coming over to swim team and then I'm a captain, like, yeah, I, like, joke around with them then. But, like, when I'm in the dorms, they, like, the one thing I did ask is all the freshmen were always on the same floor. I asked the RA supervisor, and I was like, hey, <coughs> my second year, I was like, I don't want to be on the swimmer floor. Like, oh, I see. Because I just didn't want to be, their, like, their daily RA, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I would only be the RA if I was, like, on duty and stuff went down that night. Right. I was having to manage that whole Interesting. Thing. Cool. So... 
<clears throat> so your senior year, what, what year did you win the conference championship? Junior year. Junior year. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and actually, I was listening to your sports podcast with Liam, and he says, like, memories can bring you back. If I hear, this is going to sound really silly, but if I hear the song Shots, like, as soon as we heard, like, we won championships. Yeah. Like, I just go back to that moment. Like, even yeah. if I'm in the middle of a workout, like, I literally just, like, get that, like, excitement. Like, I can feel, like, us running up there, like, yeah. jumping up and down. Like, I just feel that moment. That's again. awesome. What song? Shots. How does that song go? Like, shot, 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 shot. <laughs> <laughs> no one, no one in the world knows what song you're talking about. It's called Shots. It's called Shots? I'm pretty sure. 98% sure. <laughs> Is that the one that's like, shot, 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 yes. shot, 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 <laughs> yeah. everybody? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, still, I'm a terrible singer, <laughs> so still nobody knows what song we're talking about, but I guess, look it up, there's a there's a song called Shots. <clears throat> I have uh, I have a similar thing where, um, you know, uh, I don't know if they make them anymore, but Starbursts made hard candies, kind of like Jolly yeah. Ranchers for a while, and I had a bowl of them in my car. At the same time that I was, um, the swim season was kind of over, so we weren't necessarily training um, with the whole group of people. Uh, but I was, I was having to drive. They were doing pool maintenance on our normal pool, and I was having to drive like across town to get to the northeast pool. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we were training with just a, a core group of people that were going two or three weeks deeper into the season for whatever, and I forget what it was, but it was just it was a totally miserable part because you're, you're not really with your any of your friends. Everyone's yeah. enjoying the summer, and you're still training for a meet that I guess I should care about, but really, like, I got to that meet because I did so well. Like, I've, I've already, yeah. you know, peaked at, at this other meet, and that was awesome, and now I'm just training more for this other meet that I got, you know, allowed to go to because I swam well enough or whatever, and I would eat these... Uh, Jolly Rancher things, these Jolly Rancher hard candy listening to Pearl Jam. <clears throat> and so, anyway, now whenever I hear Pearl Jam or taste the Starburst hard candy like flavors, um, it all, like all three of those memories just come together. And it's like this awesome memory because Pearl Jam is cool and I, I like Pearl Jam and the Starbursts are awesome. But whenever I hear those two things, I think of the misery of that swim time. So really funny. Um, so there was something in college um, called Hell Week. Basically, when semesters are over, um, winter semester and before spring semester, where you stay on campus and just train 24 hours a day, yeah. essentially. It's called Hell Week at Lyco. Um, there's something called Super Highlander when you start, like you have a, uh, like three minutes to swim a 200, and it goes down by seconds until the last person is like finishing a 50 so it starts at three minutes goes all the way down to like 30 seconds yeah and you're just basically swimming my coach one year thought it would be a brilliant idea to play christmas carols during that whole time Mm. so four hours of like pain and like hellish stuff christmas carols for a couple years were just like no (laughs) wow well luckily you didn't hear it like the whole time only when you were like on the wall no so no the cool thing about lyco is we had an underwater speaker what yeah i've never swam i've never been swimming in a pool with an underwater speaker it is really cool like it was like you can hear it like crystal clear yeah really well and it's also kind of stinks when your coach is yelling at you because he has a microphone but yeah it was really cool I loved it um it became boring when I came to other roles 
Wow. Like, we had dance parties at the bottom of the pool sometimes. That's incredible. Um, no, every swim practice, it was just silence and just misery in my own head. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, would this have made it better? Yeah, I don't know if music music would have made it better. I think I think part of part of what I missed when swimming was over was that was that internal part, just continuous yeah. internal dialogue. Part of what I miss is that exactly this whole that that and like when I'm swimming, actual swimming, like I can't talk to anyone. I have to be in my own head. Yeah. It's, I have it's like to, a form of meditation yeah, in a way. I have to think, okay, I'm just going to flip. Like, I just might turn my mind off, essentially. Mm-hmm. I don't know my show counts. I don't know th- all this other stuff. I just swim. It's yeah. very natural. It will never go away. Um, at least I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's... And that, and when I have a cold, I miss it in that point. Because when I dive into the pool like I just get that moment of relief oh where you blow all your snot in the water (laughs) yeah and then everybody else has to swim with that snot yeah oh okay (laughs) no cool that's nice good good work Meg no yeah yeah that's that's interesting so you um so you graduate college Mm -hmm. and what happened after that so I had when I graduated college I had an internship with the government um DTEC, Defense Technical Information Center. Um, and for that summer, it was very monotonous work. We put stuff on a Wikipedia type of page about nanoscience, and I actually hated it all. So fun fact, if you Google DTEC and Margaret Emery, nanoscience, I pop up as a contributing editor. Wow. Yeah. What's nanoscience? It's the smallest form of science. <laughs> <laughs> It's the smallest form of science. Okay. All right. Meg's spoken, y'all. Nanoscience is the smallest form of science. Okay. Like the little things, like... The little science. There's macro science, which is big science. There's nanoscience, which is the smallest form of science. Science can't get smaller than nanoscience. I believe so. I'm not sure. Okay. All right. No, that's cool. That's cool. Um, so, yeah. So, so you were working. I did that for until September. Um, I just hated the monotony of it. It was the same thing every single day. I was literally, if it hadn't been for a few friends there, I would have gone crazy. But it's a, it's a job. It's a job, which and is so, really good. So you were doing this this monotonous, yeah. basically just putting things on the internet. Exactly. Like filing things yeah. onto the internet. That people are going to Google and find yeah. who want to find them. Yeah. Um, and it was that was your first job out of college? That was my first job. It was an internship. Um, then that ended, and then I wasn't employed for the longest of times. Um, then a few months later, I started volunteering at um, a volunteer center. Um, volunteered for them a week into volunteering with them. I was brought on f- as a staff member because someone was leaving. They needed an event planned. So... So you were, so you were also coaching during this time, right? Yeah. So you you mentioned a while ago that you were coaching with the summer swim team. Mm-hmm. Did that keep up? Were you continuing to coach the summer? So team? I coached, I coached summer swim team from the age of fifteen all the way through my second year, first year of college. Okay. That summer I coached. 
Um, then the next summer I did some internships and could no longer coach. Okay. And then when when did you start coaching again? Was it when after you graduated? I still coached a little bit in college, both um, with – I just didn't necessarily coach the teams. I coached um, at Colebrook for some of the lessons um, in the summer. And then when I was home from college, Kim asked me to help out. Cool. And then you – so you finished college and then you you were coaching with Carl Burke or you were teaching swim lessons. I was ke- teaching swim lessons, I believe. Um, with uh, I, don't, I don't exactly know. Right. Um, but I coached with them for a while and then I got hired on part time with um, Carl Burke. Did uh, not Carl Burke, volunteer Fairfax, and then I planned the event for them. Got hired part time once my contract ran out with them. Got hired part time and eventually it re- led to a full time job with them. At Volunteer Fairfax. At Volunteer Fairfax. So you started volunteering. Started volunteering with them. And then, so you you planned an event with them? Mm-hmm. What event? Um, the annual breakfast volunteer award, something to that effect. Cool. And then I, in when my time, all during my time there, I um, planned events with them. I planned something called Volunteer Fest, um, several years for them in a row, and then um, several days of services for businesses. So I've helped out with um, Deloitte Day. We've done stuff. I did stuff with USA um, Newspaper. So you were kind of the Volunteer Fairfax event planner? One of them, yeah. Did you enjoy that? Was it... As monotonous. No, I I love I loved it because it wasn't. You can't plan the same event twice. But the struggle for me in that job was writing, because you would have to write after action reports. You have to write emails and stuff Mm. like that. And in a workplace, unlike education, where it's all open. It's not as open as at least for me, it wasn't as open. What do you mean open? Like. I didn't tell them I was dyslexic. Whereas, like, in school, you always have these plans in place. Whereas in the workplace, <clears throat> you can have that. But mine isn't as, like, seeable. Like, if yeah. you're just talking to me, you don't know that I'm dyslexic. Right. And that my writing's going to, like, stink. So I, I actually, they didn't know until I got my six-month review. And they're like, you're doing everything, but your writing, man, is yeah. awful. Right. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's, I'm dyslexic. Like, mm. I didn't tell them until then because I don't want to hold them against me. Yeah, did they change how did they change how they worked with you or what? what a happened? little bit. Um, that was a interesting period of time. Um, they changed. She wanted my supervisor wanted me to find a class to like get better about like to mm. get better at that. And then during this whole time frame, um, they realized they couldn't manage money mm. and they couldn't keep afford to keep me on. And they actually laid me off, giving me two months' notice. So, like, yeah. But it actually was well, a, So, hold on. Yeah. So, you got, so you, you got laid off with two months' notice. So, that, that means they, they, they fired you, but they paid you for two more months? I was, I was working for them. So, it, they said, your last day is going to be this day. And then they made you work for two more months after they fired you? Yeah, essentially, yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> well, I guess it's nice to give you two months' warning. Yeah, exactly. So... <clears throat> So you were doing this event planning job, mm-hmm. and you were enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I, I thought, I, yeah, yeah, you were enjoying it, and you're you're doing good. It's just the the part of the job that was challenging is the part of your life that is, you know is is not as good yeah. as other people's, and probably will never be because yeah. you know of your dyslexia and everything. So writing writing was really hard in that job, and your supervisors were trying to work with you on mm-hmm. that. 
but they were working with you in a way that was just basically telling you to get better at it. Yeah, exactly. They, they weren't. Were they giving you any other sort of um, assistance? Not really. Was there a way to do that job without the writing, or was writing sort of a requirement of that job? I think there probably was. Like, just I don't know. Like, I honestly don't know. Yeah. Um, there probably was a way to do it without so much writing and having me necessarily do the final reports and all that stuff. But so you were you were working in DTIC, you did that job, that job kind of finished. Yeah. And then you you said you were unemployed for a while mm-hmm. doing swim stuff. Doing swim stuff, yeah. Lifeguarding and doing all that stuff. Lifeguarding, swim coaching, mm-hmm. yeah. swim lessons at that point. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And so um, how long was that? you know, quote-unquote, unemployment stint before you landed this job at Volunteer Fairfax? Honestly, at this point, I forget. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. years, like a year? No, like, I would say six months, six months, three months. Yeah, like a, like a long period of time yeah. where you're actively looking for work. Oh, yeah. And then you're, you're just striking out, striking out, yeah. striking out, and then you volunteer for this job. Mm-hmm. You knock a project, like you do a project so well that they hire you. No, actually, it was like a week <clears throat> on the job, the event planner was leaving, they needed to bring on some more people to help plan this event. So they were desperate. <laughs> and you were a warm body. <laughs> I think it was right place, right right yeah. place, right time, honestly. And, and you were you were volunteering yeah. and you were there. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah, I mean that's that's a that's a really interesting lesson is you know, a lot of people are looking for work and you know, doing all these things and sometimes the best way to get your foot in the door is just to volunteer. Yeah. Say, Hey, what can I do for you for free? Yeah. And crush it. And if you mm-hmm. do really good work, then you're going to, you know, you're going to get opportunities that you, that you wouldn't be afforded if you just kind of sat back and said, give me money first. Yeah. And so you went in and you were volunteering and you crushed it. And then you were doing this job for how long? About a year and a half. Okay. So so it was two part times and then they brought me on full time at six months-ish. And right. Full time employment. <clears throat> so you had this job you didn't like. Yeah. Then you had a period where you were really looking for work and mm-hmm. couldn't really find it, and then you got a job. Yeah. And this is kind of like your first job that you like. Yeah. That's a long term job, yeah. and you're and you're you're happy. Yeah. Like things are good. Like yeah. you're doing really really good work, and you're doing a job that you like. And obviously, the job has some struggles, and and you're cruising, and you're like you feel like you're starting your career, and like yeah. event planning is kind of your thing. Now. Yeah. And then. They fire you. Yeah. What's What was that like? What was that, you know, when... It was... So, the way it happened, I... I So, in my head, I always plan worst case, um, just so everyone knows. Um, like, the way it happened was just, like, really weird. I was organizing supplies. We had a supply thing off, uh, off from where the office was. And they're like, oh, hey, Meg, can you come back? And I'm like, why? It's like, am I going to, like, what are you... Oh, I want to meet with you and someone else. And I'm like, that's weird. And so, like, then they're like, oh, we're going to let you go starting this date. We realize we can't afford to have this many people. We mismanaged. Essentially, it came down. They were mismanaging money. Well, that's what they told you. Yeah. Yeah. And just to back up a little bit here, before this had even happened, thought about it, Sean, my brother sitting across from me, was having conversations with me and was like, Meg, you're not playing towards your strengths. You are very good at communicating to people. You love to coach people. He's like, you should go get your CrossFit level one because this, during this whole period, I'm CrossFitting. Um, yeah, you're at CrossFit Lorton? 
Uh, no, that's so when I was working at DTIC, I was at CrossFit Lauren, and then at this point, I'm at CrossFit Fairfax. Yeah, and CrossFit Fairfax is like one of the original, like super early CrossFitters. Yeah. Jeff so Tencher. Jeff, T- Jeff um, basically Greg Glassman, who I've met yeah. <laughs> now, um, is basically Greg went up to Jeff and was like, you should start a CrossFit gym. Cool. Yeah. So you're so you're doing CrossFit in this really good CrossFit gym. You're getting, I mean, you're in in phenomenal shape at this point. Mm-hmm. You're really good at CrossFit. You you just got fired. Yeah. From a career that you thought was you know starting to take off, yeah. and now I would imagine now you're kind of back in this mindset of like, oh man, I'm back at square one. Now it's you know just when you thought you were going to kind of break out and start your career, yeah. you're back to square one yes and no like that day like i was upset right when it happened they let me go early that day that day i went up and signed up for my crossfit level one yeah like literally like hours after it happened so um and that was the best thing i ever did so what was that what was that transition like how did you make that mental leap how did you go from you know, how did you turn the bad news into the good news? What was that transition like? I don't know why. Like, it, you had planted the seed. If you hadn't planted the seed, I don't... Because you had told me that I, you're, you love working with children. You love, like, making that impact. You love just making impact in people. Yeah. And I thought I was going to get that through event planning, like, making those impacts. And then when you planted the seed almost, I was like, oh, I'll eventually get to it. Yeah. And then when I did that, then when that happened, I was like, why not now? Like, this is, like, the best time to do it. Yeah. And honestly, during that last two months there, <laughs> oh, man. I, I updated stuff, but my work ethic. Of course. Of course. <laughs> I, mean, what did they, what, I mean, what did they expect? So, yeah, I remember. What do I remember? I remember meeting you at Starbucks. Yeah. And, um, I don't remember, like you must've, you must've gotten your notification, but not like, it must've been in that two months. I'm not. In, so I think you, you had said it in passing or something. You met, we definitely talked about it at Starbucks and then we got the notification and then I did it and you, I don't think no one knew. I just did it. Yeah. Cause I remember, I remember telling you that, or I remember thinking because Aaron and I were planning the gym and like the gym was going to happen and I started you know I left I left the Navy and you know all the nuclear training and stuff that I had and then I had a good job in the government and I I left all of that and I felt like I was giving away these careers to pursue being a coach something that I was like really passionate about so I I was fresh on this mindset of you know coaching is a legitimate thing yeah you know and 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 I think like what I remember us talking about was was telling you that it's okay if you want to be a coach, yeah. you know. And and I was thinking about it probably in the swim lesson context, like become a great swim lesson yeah. coach, become a great swim coach. Swim coaches don't send a lot of emails, you know. Yeah. Like play to your strengths yeah. and exactly. explore that area. Exactly. And then and then I remember you telling me you signed up for your L one, and I was like. I remember not thinking that, you know, and like, <laughs> yeah. oh, she took it that way. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. 
And I would have, if you had told me when I graduated college I'd be doing what you, I'm doing now, I probably would have laughed in your face and yeah, said, no way. Yeah, for sure. So you, um, okay, so so you got laid off, your work ethic at that place turned <laughs> to garbage, and then you signed up for your L1. Yeah. And did you talk to CrossFit Fairfax? Did you have no, a plan? No one, no one knew. Like, no one besides, like, you and family knew. I didn't want Fairfax to know. I because yeah. I never consider myself that great of an athlete. Like, all the coaches there, good or bad, is, like, just really physical. And, like, that's just not me, as yeah. we've discussed earlier. Well, sure. <laughs> I mean, like, you're, like, again, you're a testament of how far you can go without just raw athletic yeah. talent. And you can go super far. You oh, know, yeah. like, you're you're an RX level, you know, in what, 80%, 90% of yeah. the things? Gymnastics movements, no. <laughs> right, but, you know, an RX-level athlete, yeah. CrossFit, I mean, there's there's super athletic people who train for a long time, and it takes them a long time to get yeah. to that level. And so you're a pretty good CrossFit athlete. You sign up for the L1, and what happens? So um, there's a test at the end of the L1, in case you didn't know. Mind blown, if not. Um, and so that's... and. Unless I went and got some more testing done about dyslexia and all that stuff, reconfirming the diagnosis when I was younger, I was going to get no accommodations. And so you you talked to CrossFit. CrossFit wasn't going to give you accommodations unless yeah. you reproved all exactly. these things that you had proved when you were a kid. And yeah. You're like, eh, whatever. I yeah. don't need accommodations. Yeah. I was like, I don't. I'm not going to do. It's not worth it. Right. Like just for this one test, it's not worth it. So then I was like, I have to study, and because if I don't. I can't walk into a test and not do well if I don't study. Yep. So thanks to someone who, okay, Sean, who's sitting right across, who had just taken the L1, like, he helped me so, you, helped me so much. Like, I, I would have passed, but not as well. I don't know my score. They don't release it anymore. Um, and I don't think I would have passed. Yes. Or it would have been harder. Yeah, so I remember, like, so I was living at home. You were living at home. Mm-hmm. I was living at home, saving money to open up the gym. You were living at home, you know, saving money to yeah. whatever, start your life. And, uh, and like, every night we were studying. Yeah, definitely. And then, um, that's how I learned the zone diet, which th- that I do that later on. I start, actually start that then to learn it, mm-hmm. which helped out so much. Yeah. Your one <laughs> tablespoon of ranch dressing. <laughs> oh Yeah. <laughs> Um, and just learning that, and that's how I learned it, and mm-hmm. that's how I did everything. Like, it, it was so helpful to, like, I took the way Fairfax taught, and I was, like, mentally doing, like, the exercises, because the exercises and the nutrition, I learned by doing. Yeah. And then the other stuff I had to learn like at one of my last weeks at volunteer Fairfax was a conference and I was just I knew my time was done with them so I was literally in corners like getting ready for the test seeing what I'd memorize like okay I got that didn't get that the 10 what is it called the 10 things about CrossFit the like 10 words that you need to memorize for the test Um, strength flexibility I was, like, writing those down and, like, seeing what I had memorized and, like, the curves, the metabolic curves and all that stuff. I was setting those in a corner of that conference. (laughs) That's awesome. So, uh, you do take the L1. Take the L1. And? I pass! Woo! 
Super exciting day. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's I think it's really cool because, you know, you were sort of talking about the arc of, you know, you as a student and how when, you know, in in middle school, high school, you got a lot of accommodations. Yeah. Then when you got to college, the accommodations were there, but you yeah. had to look for them. Yeah. It was a little harder. And then when you got to the workplace, it was like, whoa, no, no accommodations. Yeah. And it's it's kind of like and it makes sense, you know. I don't have dyslexia, but I could imagine, you know, when, when you're younger, it's like, all right, let's, let's help you. Let's show you. And then as you get older, it's all right. Now you help yourself. And then when you get in the real world, it's like, well, yeah, like do it, just get it done type thing. Like now, now you should know how to, how to operate. And, and so then you got yourself to a position with the, with the CrossFit test where they were like, do all this stuff for accommodations and you're like, no, nah, I don't need accommodations. Yeah. I, I, I got this. Yeah. And you got it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And so you got CrossFit certified and then what happened after that? Um, that's when I told CrossFit Fairfax. I didn't want them to know I was going. Yeah. I, it took me a few months, but they were like, we'd love to have you as a, like an intern coach. And so I started coaching with them. So you got, a, you got this coaching internship at and, CrossFit Fairfax. Yeah. And then I was also co- giving, I went back to giving swim lessons. I'd stopped sometime during my time at Volunteer Fairfax. Went back to their lifeguarding and coaching, swim coaching, uh, coaching swim lessons and dabbled a little bit in coaching USA Swimming. That's awesome. So, um... So this internship with CrossFit Fairfax. So again, CrossFit Fairfax is a phenomenal gym. And the owners of CrossFit Fairfax are Maggie on and, yeah. Yeah, Maggie and Jeff. And they're on the, the L1 training staff. And they're phenomenal coaches. And so basically, out of all of the CrossFit, like if you wanted to build a career as a CrossFit coach, <laughs> yeah. you, like you would... CrossFit Fairfax would be on your short list of gyms <laughs> to intern with because it's that good of a gym. Yeah. And that's where you were interning. Yeah. Just because I was a member. Um, and I learned so much. Yeah. Um, so what, what does the internship process look like? And how so does that work? you start off as a, uh, uh, your first level is you mainly observe and like help athletes one-on-one and then the CrossFit classes are very much different. Not different in a bad way, just different from our Old City's CrossFit classes, whereas everyone's usually in two lines. The coach is at the center. You usually have two coaches walking around the outside, and they'll walk, like you all do the movements at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. So you, it's very easy to pick out what's wrong, what's not. Mm-hmm. And... I, I love that way. And yeah. if you ever see me coach a class, I make... I, yeah, for sure. I, I still a, do it that really way. It's a really good way to, to do um, it. And I don't necessarily do lines, but I do, like, I can tell stuff. And it was great to just, like, see that. And then in, in that process, you have to do a whole bunch of stuff, like, write about the movement, the, like, because go up beyond the level one, give coaching cues for the reverse hyper, the... Um, the back extensions, the fast ones yep. is what they're called. I forget. Um, yeah, sure. And you go into so much more detail, and mm. you're actually coaching, get that coaching experience. Right. And, and so, you and they highly recommend you um, learn about the muscles. So I like got a color me anatomy book, and I colored all of the muscles, and like I started to learn about the body and how they're all connected and yeah. all this other stuff. Yeah, so you you really started to 
like you started a formal training process to become a coach, yeah. right? You started seeing coaching as as a career path yeah. and you you really started building yourself up as a coach. Yeah. Literally, I mean literally from from the ground all yeah. the way up, you know, like learning yeah. the muscles, learning the things. Yeah. And in parallel, you're you're starting to take your swim coaching, you know, more seriously. Yeah, definitely. You get, what would you say, USA swimming certified? I get USA um, coaching certified, and then I'm also giving lessons every time we can give lessons, and I'm and lifeguarding just to make a little extra money. Yeah, for for sure. And so, um, and so, all the while, your older brother and sister are planning a CrossFit yeah. gym and starting a CrossFit gym. And I remember being very deliberate, like I'm not, like. I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm not going to just give Meg a job, yeah. right? Like, I'm not going to hire her as a coach because she's Meg. I'm going to make her, like, earn a job. Because I didn't yeah. want to, like, I wanted you to feel like, like you you deserve being yeah. in in a, yeah. in a position and not just, oh, well, it's my sister. And, yeah. oh, God. It was hard at the time, but now, like, hearing your logic and everything, like, I totally understand, and I'm very glad you did it that way. Yeah. It was hard at the time, but especially when Molly had a job and everyone was working for the gym, essentially, but me. Yeah. But. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, I mean, you had that internship at, at Fairfax. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and so we, we start the gym. And, you know, whatever, we, we have morning morning classes and we start the gym and, and we're going and you're doing your CrossFit Fairfax mm-hmm. internship and you're becoming a really good CrossFit coach. Mm-hmm. Um, when did we when did we talk to you? When did we hire you to, to so, start coaching with us? How, um, how so I got called over for an interview with um, Sean and Aaron, my siblings. <laughs> um, and they're like, yeah, we want um, they had brought on Jen Jacobs at that point. And they're like, yeah, we want you to be her assistant coach in the mornings, 5 a.m., 6 a.m., and 7 a.m. in the mornings. And I was Aaron's assistant coach um, at 7 a.m. because Jen just did the, those two first started 5 and 6 a.m. Right. And then Aaron came in for 7 a.m. Yeah. And had an interview. Set, and then I can't remember if I sat down with Jen. I know that was talked about in that interview. I can't remember if I I'm actually sure did. did. Yeah. Um, and then I started coaching with you guys. And so you were coaching with us in the morning. Yeah. So you're driving into DC from Burke. Yeah. Every morning. And yeah. What time? Were, what time did you have to wake up for that? So I don't know what time I woke up. I knew I had to leave the house at three fifty one. And if you left the house at three fifty one, <laughs> you'd be at the gym on time. Yep, and and the best part was I was it was a little too early to make breakfast, so I would, like cook eggs really fast and cook bacon and like put wrap it in tin foil and put it in the car and like drive into DC with it, and then like eat it. I'd be at the gym about four fifty and then about um, four forty, and we pay our coaches to get there fifteen minutes early, and so I was there like five minutes, and that five minutes I would eat the eggs and bacon that I had, and I miss those days because. It, Eggs taste like we're bacon flavored. <laughs> bacon flavored. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So you started you started coaching in the gym, and you were you know you were doing that. Yeah. Um, how long How long were you? I mean, you you mentioned it earlier. So what what was your sort of coaching expansion? How did that work? So at that time, oh, I was burning both ends of the candle. Um, I was getting up at three around. 3.30, then coming into D.C., coaching 5, 6, and 7. Um, and then I would, before they asked me to head coach some classes, I would leave and coach CrossFit Fairfax some days. 
And then I would go over and give lessons at night, some private lessons here and there, and give lessons at Burke Racket, where my child would pull it, the Burke pull is, um, Burke Racket to help make more money and, like, do the swimming thing. Mm-hmm. And I would assistant coach some CrossFit Fairfax classes, like the noons, 930s, all that jazz. And I would coach at night, and then sometimes I'd lifeguard until 1030 at night. Wow. And yeah. then you'd wake up at whatever, leave the yeah. house by 351. Yeah. Ironically, those days were easier because there's, an, like, a routine. Yeah. Whereas now, if I have to coach the 5 a.m. class, it's, like, completely throws off my schedule. Right. And it's so harder, so much harder than... Yeah. Routines, you can, you can manage a difficult schedule as long as you build in... Yeah. The routine and, with it. And people ask me how I manage that. Nap times. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of naps. A lot of naps. So what um, what was the biggest challenge for you in um, transitioning from event planning to CrossFit coaching? So nothing. It was that it was an, more instead of guaranteed income, it was hourly. Hourly yep. and like more dependent on that. That, but I loved it. Like, people told me afterwards, like, I thought you were happy with it, but now that I see, now you're glowing. Now I know this is what you are meant to do. Yeah. And did you, so you felt, you felt that too? I felt it. Yeah. Especially after people pointed out. Yeah. Pointed out, it's like, yeah, I am a lot happier. Yeah. I'm not dealing with emails. I'm not sitting behind a computer and working my weakness. Like, not, not doing my weakness. I'm now doing what I love. Yeah. And talking operating to in your strengths. Yeah, operating my strengths. Yeah, that's really cool. So, um, so you continue coaching. You know, we make you head coach. You, you know, eventually you leave Fairfax and you start working full time. You mm-hmm. know, with us. Yeah. Uh, and then the next big transition was what uh, you started. We started doing some kids stuff. No, it was swim one. That's right. That's right. Oh wow! Yeah. Cool. I'm glad you remember. <laughs> because you were at the Christmas party with um, Mindy. And yeah, and we found the you MSSD found pool. The MSSD pool. Yeah, and so um, and so we started our adult swim program, Swimwad, and you started coaching with me on that, mm-hmm. and um, and that's how we started kind of the, the swim program. Yeah, right? and so yeah, that's awesome. And, so, and then at that time, we were also starting the CrossFit Kids because we got asked to do something with school within a school. Yeah, and an after-school program. An after-school program there. I don't exactly remember. It probably happened similar, but we definitely started swim. Yeah, for sure. Quad and kids was kind of the same time. And so like, you're, you're magical with kids. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's incredible. Um, I, don't, I don't know how you do it. But it's it's really it's really I don't either. I just <laughs> I just talk. It's awesome. And yeah. so we 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 had that opportunity with school within a school, and then you started a like a CrossFit Kids program with mm-hmm. them. So just tell me about that. What like what did the CrossFit Kids program look like? What did so, you do? So way back when I was starting getting all these CrossFit certifications, I knew I wanted to do work with kids. So as soon as I passed my L1, I actually started, um, I looked for a kid certification in New York City and I got my kid certification. And ironically, it I came in the date night before they opened the gym. So I was actually at the first 5 a.m., 6 a.m. and 7 a.m. classes um, because I came in from New York City that night. And 
Then with the kids program, it started at school within the school. We were given the opportunity to do it. And it's a lot of squats. It's a lot of just getting the kids used to moving because if you don't squat, you don't you lose it. And you everyone has a natural squat when they are little kids and between the ages seven and fourteen there's a trimming process and if you're not using it you lose it and so most people in america will lose it because we're not using it but so it's a lot of squatting it's push-ups and making sure they do full range motion because like instead of push-ups with like little bent elbows no i make them go all the way down yeah and go all the way up and same with burpees i make them lay down on the ground and then jump up and clap and right do full range of motions so it's it's like CrossFit Kids is kind of, I mean, you hear CrossFit and you think barbells and weights and all this stuff. CrossFit Kids is basically just getting kids moving. Yeah, And that's definitely. what the program was. And teaching, especially the way we were doing it, is getting kids moving, getting them to love exercise and just have fun with it. We would come up with games that um, every time you got hit with a ball or something to that effect, you had to do a squat. That's awesome. Every time... Um, you, you had to go and try knock cones down. Every time the cone got knocked down, you had to do a squat. Yeah. And it's like coming up with fun ways like that yeah. to do these games. Crab walk soccer and like doing those games. Right. So we were doing, um, you were doing the CrossFit Kids and the kids loved it and it was a ton of fun. And then we got other school, like how did it, it grew? So right? yeah, it grew. We started with school in a school and then... We were talking. I was talking about um, the school within a school of someone. They introduced us to Murray. Murray, however you say. It. Yeah. Um, so we started over there. Murray's um, connected with Tyler. So we had Tyler, Murray, and school within a school. And we were ta- in talks with other schools to get to get into their um, schools as well, into their after school programs as well. Um, at that point, we one summer we got asked if we did swim lessons. We said yes. <laughs> yeah, and so things got a little crazy at that point. And yeah. I think that's the point when we started to realize that we were way overextended. And we we kind of had to choose swim lessons or CrossFit Kids. And I think that's kind of when we all kind of like facepalmed ourselves and realized that, I mean, you've been coaching swim lessons for 15 years. We're all collegiate swimmers. Yeah. And... Um, and there's a ton of kids in Capitol Hill. With yeah. We had looked at it, but just didn't think we could compete with the D.C. swim lessons and stuff. So so, so we, we kind of transitioned out of CrossFit Kids and into swim lessons. Yeah. So what was that first swim lesson experience like? Like what? It was really fun because I had a whole pool to myself. And usually when you give swim lessons in an established program, like you have multiple coaches with you. And like, I've literally like been so close to groups. Like I could hear the other coach talk and I was like, I can't think kids we're kicking over here. So I can like, just get my thought process. Right. I was alone. And if you've been to the MSSC pool, it's a six lane pool with a deep end. I was alone in a pool. I had, oh man. All the space. <laughs> All the space in the world. And which, how many kids were you working with the um, first round? Five. Five, five kids. Five for the older kids and three for the younger kids. And so you were doing, uh, you were in the pool for an hour? No, like it turned into like. From, well, but where, where it started, like the first. The first, no, because that first time we had it, we were like, oh, if we can fill this first hour, we will have it. Mm-hmm. But then we also, 
um, Amy posted it on Moth. Right. And so we got 65 kids. Right off the bat? Right off the bat. So and you, so we you were, were... You were doing, what, three hours of lessons? Um, Yeah, from like eight, 9 to 2 on Saturday. Wow. And it was just you in the water? Just me in the water and a lifeguard on deck. <laughs> and that was Katie Brock. For three hours? For three hours. Wow. That's awesome. How was that? That was... I mean, it was a lot. Like, don't get me wrong, but it was also different. Like, three kids at a time. Like, I had full control of the program, if that makes sense, because yeah. I'm the only coach. Yeah. Um, was it fun? Did you enjoy it? Yeah. It- oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But we weren't really using any program at that time. Yeah, it was just just you just teaching. me teaching the way I was taught to teach. Right. And so you've been teaching some lessons for a long time, and so you start working with these yeah. kids. And when when you work with kids, you just you just glow. Yeah, like you just definitely. you turn on, and you 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 have such a talent when when you know you're working with these kids. You you can make anything fun. You know you could get oh kids God. to do their house chores, and they would be smiling and giggling <laughs> and having fun with it. That's cool. Yeah. And so you were. You I was were doing, doing that, that and then. Also, I was coaching the gym. Okay. Still coaching the gym. The morning classes, and I believe 9.30 and noon. When you started working, doing the swim lessons with the kids, and when you started doing the CrossFit kids, did you did you notice a difference in coaching? I mean, obviously, there's a difference between coaching adults and kids, but did you notice a preference? Oh, yeah. I always prefer kids. Um, really? Yeah. I much prefer kids than coaching adults. I don't know why. I just do. Um, with, I, I think it's because adults were more peers and whereas kids, it's more, I get to tell them what to do and I get to make it fun, but they also have to do it (laughs) type of thing. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. I'm the complete opposite. (laughs) Working with kids, it's, 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 for me, it's, I'm sure for you too, it's, it's really draining and it's exhausting, but for me, it's so Exhausting. Yeah. It's so tiring. It is, but once you get in a routine, it's like yeah. normal. It, you have to give out more energy. Right. And if anyone has seen me coach CrossFit class, they're very energetic. Right. For sure. <laughs> um, and I, oh, you say it best, I flirt that line between coaches, coaching adults. When I'm coaching adults, I flirt that line of treating them like kids, and I'm treating them like an adult. It's a very fine line that I... Yeah. Walk really well. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, because you, you definitely bring a lot of the, the kid stuff into when, when you work with adults. Yeah. Um, but it's like you're able to manage it with your personality. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's quirky, funny Meg, happy elbows and all those things. Oh, yeah. Actually, I was talking to someone recently in swim one. They're like, I haven't heard of happy elbows. I was like, he's just, she's like, what coaches in the gym would know? I was like, Katie R. and Sean Chua would definitely know it. <laughs> yeah. We got to bring that back. I agree. I think Jen should bring it back in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, okay, so you're doing the swim lessons, and and by this point in in your in your life, I guess, I would imagine that you're starting to like find your sweet spot and realize that wow, this is this is my career. This is awesome. Oh um, yeah. I f- I finally found what I was kind of meant to meant to do. Oh yeah. Is that? Oh, totally true. Um, I. I was like, this is all, like, I'm definitely, at this point, I was a lot less writing, still is. Um, It's not a lot of writing. I'm in front of clients. I'm 
talking to people. I get to help them make a difference in their lives. I'm helping these kids, these kids, and change their life. Yeah. And it's just really cool to see, like, make these make these changes. Right. In people's lives, whether it be kids or adults. That's awesome. Yeah. And like, where, like, looking back. So for me, for example, like, kind of looking back at at my career, my trajectory, my life, like everything makes so much sense. It's yeah. like, oh, yep, I should have seen that. I should have yeah. seen that. I should have seen that. So when you look back at kind of the arc of what got you to where you are today, is it similar? Are you are you are you seeing? You know, oh yeah, I really like that's where I notice I really have that passion for working with kids, and this is where I have the passion for you know whatever. Like when you look back, do you see it, or is it more always, just kind of? I was always told, growing up, I was like, oh, parents would tell me when working with summer league, they're like, you're really good with kids, you should mm-hmm. consider being a teacher. But my worst nightmare is standing up in a class and I can't spell something, and like mm-hmm. these little kids can, and I'm like, oh no, <laughs> not for me. Right. And I was always told that, and I was like, oh no, no, I want to manage my own hotel, <laughs> <laughs> and. I I think I realized it that I was meant to do it kind of that year that I was coaching at two different CrossFit gyms, giving swim lessons and lifeguarding. Yeah. Like that year changed my life. Yeah, for sure. What um what do you like most? Like what's clearly clearly you're passionate about, you know, swim lessons and, and coaching swimming. What what have you thought about what the thing is that makes you like fired up about it that gets you excited about it what what about it makes you i'm changing the i'm changing people's lives yeah like swimming to me the worst nightmare is getting an adult that doesn't know how to swim right like water is so much fun (laughs) if you just like have fun in the water yeah that's life-changing like you can go to the beach you can go to the pool and just have fun hands hands cartwheels and like not handstands there we go somersaults and just have fun in that water like that's what we're teaching and if these kids ever grow up to be olympians or something like that i'll be like oh they started my program how awesome would that be yeah so you you know you learned how to swim at a a young age and you've known you know how to swim and you've had a ton of fun in and around the water and so you love the idea of showing people how enjoyable the water is how much fun you can have in the water and oh by the way um it's super dangerous when you don't know how to swim (laughs) when you're a kid and you're solving that problem too yeah awesome so so how did the swim lesson program turn from you know what was that transition like from you working with you know three hours in the water to building a you know a systematic program that you're now managing? How did it go from a one meg show to, to like a, a full program yeah. that instead of able to helping, you know, 60 kids yeah. helps, you know, a lot more kids yeah. than that. And arguably the quality has gotten you know okay. better, if not like stayed the same to yeah. when you were giving the personal attention to each kid. Now, like how did you build that program? What, what, what did that transition so, look like? It was the for the next session. Katie watched Katie Brock watched so many lessons, and she's like, "I want to get in the water." And so I started training her mm-hmm. to be in the water. She competitive competitive swim all the way through Air Force, or most of the way through Air Force. Um, 
And so she had the resume to do it. She knew yeah. everything. She just needed to know how to put it in words, essentially. Right. And that's what I taught her. So she eventually got in the water with me, and I was teaching her how to coach. So then the next lesson, instead of one coach in the pool, we had two coaches. And then we started putting out feelers, Craigslist ad, because people just heard about the lessons and where we're located and free poking in D.C. Yeah. And so the the quality of the lessons yeah. that started to spread, word oh, yeah. spread. You trained Katie. Katie's giving same similar lessons. Exactly. You know, exact same lessons at the same quality as you are. And then you found another coach and another coach. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the program grows like yeah. programs grow. You know, if you create a quality thing. Yeah, it, 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 it continues to grow. And then in that process, we are also looking for an accreditation. Like Red Cross is what I grew up teaching. And then um, Sean and Aaron had an opportunity to um, do something with ASCA. And that's what introduced and ASCA us. is the American oh, yeah. Swim Coaches Association. Yeah. Um, and that's what turned us on to Swim America. First, I was hesitant about it, but... After really delving into the program, I'm so glad that we went to America. Right. It's so. The- so what? First, what's the? So you you learned to you learned to teach swimming under the Red Cross mm-hmm. model. What yeah. does that look like? So the Red Cross model, there's a whole bunch of different skills per level. Like they get to practice freestyle. How many levels are there? I, I think it goes up to seven, but okay. no program does all the levels. Right. Um. Like you get to you, a coach holds you and you do freestyle arms ish, and a coach holds you and like you kick, and you just do a whole variety of skills. And then once the coach feels you're ready and the timing works with the program is how we did at Burke. Once that session's up, then you, the coach promotes them. Got it. And then you'll go to level two and then, level three, yeah. and and so it's it's kind of it's it's less it's less organized than swim america we'll talk about what swim america is but it's it's more it's more dependent on a coach's brilliance yeah like like you operated really well in that red cross environment because you have a decade of swim lesson experience and you know what a kid needs to you know you know you can look at each kid and know exactly what they need yeah but it it would be less effective if you get a new coach who's yeah. new to, to lessons. And that's definitely how I started out. I remember my first class solo, essentially, giving actual swim lessons, not teaching people, like, stroke retirement. Mm-hmm. I had two twin boys terrified of getting their heads in the water. Yeah. And I was like, okay. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> exactly. And then I was like, you know what? Let's see if they'll put their ears in. Let's let's start with, let's break it down. And right. that's that's my first, like, solo actual teaching right. a kid how to swim class. Oh, that's awesome. Um, what so? What's the Swim America model? What does that so look the like? Swim America model? Um, instead of having a whole bunch of things, we have two to three skills per level that we're focusing on. After level one, level one's one skill, and after that, we're focused on that instead of a instead of a whole bunch of things. We're working on those two things or three things each class. And so repetition, it's more repetition. It's getting them better right. at those couple skills. And the program itself is a building box. So level one starts with bobs. Level two is floating. What are bobs? So bobs are putting the head under, blowing bubbles out your nose, mm-hmm, making the humming sound underwater. Yeah. Because that is the basis of swimming. All swimmers at some point in their show will breathe 
out the nose. Right. And you can't swim unless you can do that. Right. And so we start with that. And then, then, and then it goes build to level to, two. And then goes to level two with floating. Then goes to level three with kicking. And then four, five, and six is freestyle. And then seven, eight, nine, ten, we are teaching them competitive swimming strokes, which right. is awesome. So the Swim America system is like a very systematic way of literally building building a a swimmer like yeah. piece by piece. Oh yeah, definitely. And you 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 start with the most restrictive part which is getting comfortable putting your head in the water. Yeah. Which is surprisingly difficult, you know, yeah. for a lot of people. And it, uh, maybe it's not surprising, maybe it makes a ton of sense. It's a scary thing, you yeah. know. I think kids in, instinctually know that the water is a dangerous thing. Because they don't, you know, they they know probably subconsciously that they don't know how to swim, and it's a new thing, and so they they get exposed to this, and you know, it's the the, the hardest thing first is to get your head in the water. Yes and no. no. I I think it's the way you grow up, because every baby, everyone, it's the way you're taught growing up as a baby. Because if you are not taught, like there's a s- distinction between okay, don't go near water when a parent's not there. But if the parents fearful, most likely that's when we get the ones, I'm not putting my head, no, 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 oh, no, no. And it's also what the parents let them get away with at home. If you're not putting, making, if you're not having your kid put their head under in a bathtub, they're not going to succeed at our lessons. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So if, you know, if a kid, if a, if a, if a child is exposed to a lot of water growing yeah. up, then they're less afraid of it. Yeah. But if they're not exposed to the the water as a kid, then they're going to come to the water a little more afraid. Yeah. So we'll get into tactics that, you know, parents can can use to, you know, sort of set their child up for success in our program or any swim lesson yeah, program. But um, so you, you start, Swim America starts with, with Bob's getting the head in the water. Mm-hmm. So once they're comfortable going underwater, blowing air out of their nose, then they then they get promoted. What's the what's the you know, what's the promotion look like? How does that work? So it's everyone's favorite part. Um, the promotion is once the someone on deck sees that they can do it. There's a couple people in our program that can pass. The coach in the water cannot pass. So we see it, they show us. And we're like, oh my gosh, you guess what? You get to go to the level XXX. So if if a if a kid's in level one, mm-hmm. then level one has a has a test. Yeah. And so if they pass that test in level one, yeah. then we go get out have them get out of the water. Yeah. And walk to our table and ring a bell. As cool. loud as they can. Everyone claps and cheers and yeah. everyone's so happy. That's awesome. And then we walk them back to level two. So, so they move up right then and there as soon as they show us the skills. So it does like it doesn't doesn't matter how long they're in the level, doesn't matter, you know, nothing matters. Nothing matters. Once they have the skill, they get promoted. Yes. And they ring the bell. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And then they, they go to level two. So level two is, what did you say, glides? Uh, pushing off the wall and floating on your back and stomach for 10 seconds. So now that they're comfortable putting their head in the water, they go to level two. Yeah. Level two is floating on their stomach and floating on their back. Pushing off the wall and floating, so, yeah. yeah. And then um, level three? Uh, pushing off the wall, streamline, kicking, freestyle kick, flutter kick. 
Okay, so you get comfortable in the water. Yeah. You get comfortable floating on your stomach and on your back. And, and now, pushing off the wall. And pushing <laughs> off the wall. And now we're teaching you how to kick. Yeah. And so now, once you pass level three, you can push off the wall, float on your stomach, float on your back, kick on your stomach, kick yep. on your back. And so, you know, for those people following along, you can start to see how, you know, the methodology of building the stroke. And I think what's really important here is that that Swim America was developed by the American Swim Coaches Association in partnership with USA Swimming and is like the swim coaches getting together and saying, let's teach how to, let's teach swimming to build high level USA Swimming, you know, where the Red Cross is a bunch of lifeguards getting together, let's teach water safety. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really fundamental difference in the two programs Um, because you're, we're, you know, if you if you can swim classic swim strokes, yeah. then you're water safe. Yeah. Right. If if you take any competitive swimmer, you know, any high level, any competitive swimmer, basically any competitive yeah. swimmer, and then you can put them in the ocean, you can put them in a pool, you can put them in a lake, you can put them yeah. in any water environment. Maybe not any water environment, but most water environments, and they're going to be super safe. Yeah. So level three kicking. Mm-hmm. Stomach and, and back. Level yep. four. Level four is sweet spot. So kicking on their side with um, one arm out and one arm by their side on their side. And then also starting the freestyle arms. And really cool thing in our program, we have a diving board and a deep end. So at level four is when I let them go off the diving board. Everyone, we have kids that like see it in level two or like low levels and they're like, I want to go off that. I'm like, yeah. you have to get to level four. Once they get to level four, <laughs> yeah. they can go off the diving board. So a way to think about it is level four. Level two and level three, they're learning how to balance on their stomach and on mm-hmm. their back, learning yep. how to float and learning how to stay on top of the water on their stomach and on their back. Once you get to level four, you're learning that balance on your side, on yep. your left side and on your right side. Yep. And so, and then you're starting to move your arms and it starts to look like you're swimming freestyle. Yep. Okay. Um, level five. Level five is where we teach them to breathe in the shirk. So, oh, so up to this point... Up through level four, their head is in the water and they're just moving their body around yep. it. Yep. Level um, in level the sweet spot's done with your their head out of the water, so they are breathing during sweet spot. But the freestyle in level four, they don't have to. They're not breathing. Right. So then. So level five is when we actually in freestyle you um, it's swum by going side to side. So how we teach them how to breathe is stopping the shirk for a little while, having their head up in sweet spot coming back down and starting swimming again. Right. So level five, they're breathing to their side. Yep. Level six. Level six is a full lap of freestyle. Now we take that sweet spot away from them. We don't let them pause in that as long in that sweet right. spot anymore. So now now they're instead of sweet spot pause, yeah. breathe, now it's a quicker breath exactly. and they need to find that balance yep. faster. Yep. And treading one minute with no hands. And then also um, 30 feet of backstroke. So we're starting to teach them balance on their back. Exactly. And the stroke on their back. Yep. Okay, so level seven. Breaststroke kick. 30 feet of breaststroke kick. Just a kick because um, breaststroke kick, for those non-swimmers out there, um, is very complicated. It's it, Breaststroke for the swimming world has the most rules around it. So I'm teaching. We're teaching them a com, a competitive swimming kick. Yeah. To be legal. 
Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting. Kids naturally either kick with a breaststroke kick and then learning to swim is teaching them how to do a freestyle kick that's unnatural. Yeah. Or they kick with a freestyle kick and then teaching them a breaststroke kick is super unnatural. Yeah. But both kicks are really important. And exactly. the breaststroke kick is kind of the foundation of what you use for treading water mm-hmm. um, with the egg beater. It's kind of single breaststroke kicks at a time and that keeps you keeps you on mm-hmm. the surface much more effectively than a freestyle kick. Oh yeah. We've so, had people pass with the freestyle kick <laughs> yeah. many times. So level seven is, is and then a fifty freestyle and a whole lap of backstroke or a whole twenty five backstroke. So now we're now we're testing for improved endurance, mm-hmm. which is really a test for improved um, efficiency in the swim stroke. Yeah. Level eight is thirty feet of Butterfly, no breathing at this point. Right. Um, a whole lap of breaststroke, so adding the arms in now, and a hundred freestyle. So, more techniques, more, more techniques, strokes, more strokes, more efficiency yep. in freestyle. Level nine. Level nine is a twenty-five butterfly, fifty breaststroke, and a two hundred freestyle. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty far. Level 10. Level 10 is a 300 freestyle, 100 IM, and 100 back. So by the time by the time you get to level 10, you're swimming all the strokes that legally. you would swim in competitive swimming yep. legally, which takes an extreme amount of water competency. You're um, swimming freestyle for 300 yards, which for is 12 laps of length. Really long. Um, and what, what were the other requirements? 100 um, backstroke and 100 IM. Okay, wow. So your backstroke's really good, too. Yeah. I mean, everything's good. Yeah. But, I mean, by that point... So at this point is when we consider you that you know how to swim. Yeah. Anyone can do that. Like, that's where we say you're safe in the... Like, not safe. You're safer than when you started our yeah. program, for sure. 100%. But that's when we consider you that you can swim. Yeah. And you can... And certainly you can swim, you know, before that. Yeah. But, you know, it's like... We know you're going to be safe in the water, pretty safe in the water. Yeah. Because whether you want to walk onto a competitive swim team, if someone walked on a competitive swimming team with no competitive swimming experience and they did all that legally, yeah. a coach's jaw is a job. Yeah. If, if you're a level 10 swimmer... In in any Swim America program, you know, especially our Swim America program, you can you can you can literally walk on any competitive swim team in the world, yeah. and have a place in that team, yeah, and probably not even be the worst swimmer, yeah. Um, you'd be a really good swimmer for that team. At what point, like, at what point would you say most kids are safe in a pool? Um, I always say once they pass level six is when my coaches can get out and coach them from out of the water because level six, just that one minute treading water and water, no one can touch. And we have the luxury of having a deep end and like 12 foot of water. So I make them do that. And with no hands, that's huge. And they can swim a 25 freestyle. And they can get to the other side of the pool with a really good stroke. And so if you can get to the other side of the pool and if you can tread water, there's really no pool water environment that's that's going to be a challenge for you yes and no i mean the endurance the endurance helps a lot that's why it's a 300 yeah for sure but the being able to get to the other side of the pool is huge like right. don't get me wrong yeah yeah you could drop a kid in the deep water and they, they're going to pop to the surface they're going to swim yeah and find a wall easy yeah yeah 
And that, that, that happens around level six, level six. And it's, it's really cool. Cause you, you know, the way, the way the lessons are structured is you have all the levels, you know, there's, there's a whole machine that's happening. There's, I mean, how many coaches do you have in the water? 11 coaches in the water. So 11 coaches in the water. Yeah. And then what do you have on the pool deck? On the pool deck, we have greeters greeting and, um, two greeters greeting you when you walk into the pool. And then we have um, two, um, essentially, site supervisors. One's the lead and one's the assistant. Um, passing people, watching for safety. We have a lifeguard. And then one of our greeters is actually around the pool deck, making sure just kids are safe with two hands on the wall. So you have a lifeguard. Yeah. Okay, so that's obviously, you know, we all know what lifeguards are. Then we have two greeters who kind of run the administration mm-hmm. of the lesson. One of the greeters, call them a safety watch. Yeah. So they're not a lifeguard. They're not trained to be a lifeguard, but they're just making sure that all of our safety policies are being met. Yeah. If you're not being, you know, if a kid's not being worked with, two hands are on the wall, and the one of the greeters' responsibilities is to make sure that all the kids are following their safety instruction. Yeah. Um, then on top of that, we have two site supervisors who mm-hmm. are the managers checking in with the kids, and, and it's a site supervisor that passes yeah. the. Um, um, you know, that, that graduates the kids yeah. and that moves the kids. So the site supervisors are kind of there for, you know, making sure the quality assurance and to promote kids yep. is all happening. Yep. Um, and then 11 kid, 11 coaches 11 in the water. Coaches, yeah. And so more or less, I mean, what's that look like? Like one coach for every level? Well, usually one coach for every level depends on how it breaks out, but usually we strive for a one to three ratio. Yeah. Okay. So one coach working with, about three up, kids. Up give three give kids. give or take. I mean, there are upper levels we do stretch it to five. Our lower levels, you two. need more attention. Yeah, right. So yeah, it's 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 really cool to watch because you you see the pool and the pool has all the kids, mm-hmm. right? So you have your level nines, your level eights, your level sevens, yeah. your level six, all the way down to your level ones, and it's really cool to see the kid, like the the development in a kid yeah. there in the pool. You can yeah. look at level one and then you can look over at level four and go. Wow, my kid's gonna be there yeah. at some point. Yeah, you definitely. Know? And then you can look at level nine and be like, "Whoa, yeah. my kid, my kid's gonna be there at some point too." Yeah, and it's all of that's there, and I think yeah. it's really cool for the kids. Oh yeah, because now the kids are looking at you know, oh, I want to go off the diving board, yeah. or they see their friend working on breathing, and oh, I want to work on breathing. Yeah. It's been really cool. Um, we've been doing Swim America for the last two years now. We finally have people in level nine. It's wow. the highest level we have, and soon passing too. Um, and with that, in our like, it's typically week uh, weekday lessons. So we will have levels one to s- like describing that environment in the pool at one time. It's challenging on some like from my end because I have to like change locations to get m- more lane space, which yep. is awesome. But it's really cool to see like these little kids, and then we'll, we'll look over and I'm like, the hurt stroke is great. Like, right. Like just seeing that level nine stroke or like level eight stroke and stuff like that. Yeah. And I was, I was more involved in the, in the super early days when we didn't have many advanced swimmers. Yeah. And the, the really cool thing is that a lot of our, I mean, basically all of our level nine swimmers like are homegrown. Like we, Oh yeah. Like we, we didn't inherit and inherit a lot of super talented swimmers. We we got well, them up. Let's let's rephrase that. I would say we didn't inherit anyone with a lot of lesson background. That's a really good point. <laughs> Everyone's talented. <laughs> no, that's a really good point. Yeah. No, you're you're a hundred percent right. And so now we have. I can't, 
above like greater level six and above. Yeah. Like, a lot of a lot of talent in that oh, yeah, in that area, yeah. and then you know a lot of kids coming up. Is it do you do you notice do you notice kids kind of like watching those higher level swimmers? And I actually never thought about that. I, yeah. I know like in con- conceptually, yes, it happens, but um, I'm actually going to bring that back and be like, hey, start pointing out to my level fives. Watch the level sixes, watch the level nines to get like concepts. And I'd started that a little bit, but yeah. now I'm gonna start hoping to buy a little bit more with the coaches. Yeah, I mean it to me, like I remember I remember swimming as, you know, an age group kid and then looking over and seeing the bigger kids yeah. and how fast they were swimming and yeah. wanting you know, wanting to beat them. And that's and how to swim that's how them. I was because right. I always had to sit through some swim meets of two siblings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so I think it's just a natural thing and I think that's part of the beauty of the swim program is you have you have that environment where you you have the examples in the older kids yeah. that are in the higher levels. Yeah. And then the littler kids are, are looking at that. And I would imagine now that we have that whole system in place, that kids are getting through the program faster yeah. than they than they would before. Probably, yeah. So what what's a, what's a timeline like? You know, because clearly there's some growth the kid has to go through. If you look at the if you look at the levels nine, ten, eleven, you're mm-hmm. not you're not getting a three year old to level no. level nine. But you know what's so. If I start swim lessons, what's the what's the age I can start doing swim lessons? Uh, three. Let's say I start when I'm three. Yeah. What's a you know, obviously every kid is different and it changes and I don't, you know, I don't want to like quote you on these things yeah. where, you know, but like what's a, what's a general time so, frame for how long a three-year-old is in level one? So assuming that they come in and they will put their head underwater, we're going to assume yeah. that because if not this, it takes longer to get the head under. So getting, getting comfortable yeah. with the water, getting comfortable, getting with, comfortable water. with the pool, getting comfortable with the coaches. Exactly. Um, and the hardest part for a three-year-old is learning that humming. <laughs> and, like, it's saying, like, you, there's several different tricks we use. We use um, hum the name. The humming does what again? The humming does, forces air out your nose, and it prevents water from going up your nose. Oh, okay. And it forces you to close your mouth, so you can't get water in your mouth. So we're the humming is the bob, right? Yeah. And, and we're teaching them the right way to... Protect your face and protect, you know, your lungs and everything. Yeah. And not get water up your nose and not get water in your mouth. And yeah. the, the right way to breathe. Yeah. And that's the hardest part. That's the hardest part. If they come in pretty general comfort. Okay. Um, so. Once they do that, I honestly can't put a timeline on it. Um, but that's the hardest part. Like, if you want to start working with your kid. Yeah. Start working with them and just humming. Humming in the bathtub. See, getting them to do bubbles. Not coming, making sure their mouth is closed. Because you can fake it that way. Sure. But making sure it comes out their nose. Have them hum their name. I always do. That's what one of the tricks I usually get. And they, the first couple have to be pretty hard, and then they have it. Yeah. So if if you're a parent and you're working with your kid and you want to get your kids into swim lessons, some techniques, some like what can you do before you get to the pool or as your kid's growing up, you know, yeah. as they're younger, yeah. before they get to three what are things that you can do with that with that kid to really set them up for success at swim lessons? So we have a TOTS program. <laughs> um, you can join our TOTS program, and our TOTS program teaches you how to work with your kid in the water. Okay. And we teach you how to put their head under and working with that, how to float with them and teaching them how to get comfortable floating on their stomach and on their back, getting them comfortable about just being in the water. 
Yeah. Because that's huge. If you haven't really been in a pool before, you're like, what is this? Right. So if you have if you have a toddler, exposing them to the pool, yeah. exposing them to water, always a good thing. Oh, yes. Definitely. Yeah. And, and so... You know some ideas like if you're if you're a parent in a pool with with your toddler, what are some what are some things to practice? Yeah. So you just put, so, put your hand on their on their back and just have them relax and breathe, yeah. that sort of thing. So I would I always start with putting their head under if you're comfortable with it. Um, if you especially on the younger toddler side, like 18 months, you can even do it with babies like younger than this. Um, you can blow in their face, just blow in their face really close to the water and put them under. And And what is is blowing in the face? The blowing in the face forces them to, for that momentary second, they don't get water up their nose. It closes everything. So if you blow in their face, it forces them to clench and sort of close their eyes and close their mouth. Yeah, and close their nose. So they're not. You can dunk them underwater at that point. Yeah. And then uh, bring them up. Bring them up and say, and it's always positive. It's always like, oh my gosh, you just put your head under? Awesome job. High five. I can't believe you did that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so getting getting them also, getting the toddler used to putting their heads yeah. in the water, and then um, I always find floating on the back is the hardest thing to teach. So I always typically start with back, but you can have them so pushing off the wall, like you holding them, and then having their back on your um, hand, and then the whatever hand back you, whatever hand you have the you're holding their back with, that's that shoulder their head's resting on, yeah. and then your other hands across them. Yeah, so you're just you're basically getting them used to being yeah. horizontal in the water, exactly, and on their stomachs, on their backs, exactly. And you have them the it's fifty fifty whether they're going to like being on their backs or not. Right. Those are literally the odds. Right. Um. And so just getting them comfortable, calming them down, like not necessarily if they're screaming bloody murder, stop. Yeah. But sure. like talk to them, say like, oh, you're okay. Look, I'm right here. You can feel their cheek right there. Yeah. And just walk around. And, and like point out, that, yeah, yeah, point out stuff on the ceiling is what I usually do. It really just getting getting your kid comfortable with the idea of being in the water. Yeah, definitely. And you're not you're not really teaching strokes or anything. You know, you're just you're just showing them that the water is is okay. Yeah, it's not a bad place to be. And you and if you notice your kid not putting their head on a bathtub, start there. So yeah, so that's if you're if you're in a pool, you can start. Getting, getting their head underwater, start floating on their stomach, start floating on their back. But if you're at home, yeah. what can you do? So you mentioned... You can... Um, if they're not putting their head under to wash their hair, like just have them start leaning back and washing their hair that way. What I usually do is, before you even start like bath, formal bath, or, like bath time, like washing their hair and stuff, break down the face. Mm. Will you put your chin in? Will you put your cheek in? Will you put your ears back of the head, further back of the head, forehead, eyes, nose? And then if that becomes too easy, I do combinations. I like right. put different stuff together. So then, so you, and during bath time, you're just you're just getting your kid used to you know it's like a little a little kids pool. You know, you're just getting kids yeah. used to getting their head yeah. wet, and then um, teaching them humming. Yeah. Definitely. Teaching them humming. So if a three-year-old comes to us who knows how to hum, they're, yeah. they're humming rock stars, <laughs> they're comfortable getting in the water, yeah. um, that three-year-old is going to spend much less time in level one than a three-year-old who comes to us who's a little afraid of the water, needs to spend more time warming up with the water, Yeah. no idea how to hum. Yeah. So you can set your kid up for swim lesson success in the very early stages by 
by getting them used to the water, teaching humming. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, that's, it's, it's really interesting to me, uh, cause I never thought about that, but yeah, like and, humming's, humming's a skill until just like, like my, until someone pointed out to me, I didn't know how I let air out yeah. until someone pointed it out to me. It was so natural that yeah. I just didn't know I was doing it. Right. And then once that happened, my like my teaching methods yeah for sure and everything changed because I was like oh and if you see me coaching like a higher level or something sometimes I'll get those questions that I don't know I have to like put myself back into the pool and like it's muscle memory yeah for sure like I'm just like oh wait hang on well and that's a good point because that's I mean what we're teaching what we're teaching these life skills and these are these are muscle memory things that we're doing so um how long, I mean, I don't, you know, obviously like I don't want to put a timeline on things, but just for expectation wise, like level one to level 10, are we talking weeks, months, years, decades, years, years? We honestly don't know because we, we have no, we've had no one graduate a program, but we are going on two and a half years of America. Let's go with that. Um, and we're just now getting people out of level nine. Right. So it's definitely a year's commitment. For sure. And yeah, it's it's a year's thing. Yeah. Yeah. Even if even if they are older, like they're gonna they're not gonna go from level one to level ten unless you have other swimming background overnight. Right. Yeah. It's like it's like anything. The more the more time you spend doing something, yeah. the better you get at that thing, right? Yeah. If you spend I mean the way the way I learned swimming. I mean, sure, yeah, I got water safe and swim lessons and all those things. I, I think the first year of swim lessons, I just cried my face off, and my mom took me out of our mom took mom took us out of <laughs> took me out of swim lessons. Like, no, he's not ready. And then I think the next year I was you know fine yeah. or whatever. And yeah. then and then growing up, I just remember spending a ton of time playing in the pool. Like the summers, yeah. summers was just pool I was time. in the pool yeah. all the time, and. And the more you get exposed to something, the better you get at that thing. Ironically, going back to our younger sister, she actually had to be taken off her first swim team because she wouldn't let go of Aaron, (laughs) who was coaching that swim team. Yeah, yeah. And she turned out to be one of the fastest swimmers in the Emory family. Yeah, one of, not (laughs) me. Obviously. I phrase that carefully because I'm in your presence. Yeah, Molly's never swam faster than me in anything. Well, if you... We won't get into that. Yeah. um, That's that's cool. So... So the swim lesson, so the swim lesson program. I mean, what what ages are you working with? We said we, we said there's a toddler 12. program. Yeah. Oh, we started 18 months in our toddler program. 18 months all the way to 12 years. Right. That's that's awesome. And then what at what level could a kid realistically join a competitive swim team if they wanted to? I'm gonna say it depends on the age. So like, if a six year old gets to level six, they could probably walk onto a competitive swim team. Mm-hmm. And do well because they're in a lower group that will teach them that's more sh- fundamental stroke development, yep. especially for breaststroke and butterfly. Yeah. Um, a 12 year old, I would want them to get to like eight, like yep. finish eight to learn that breaststroke and butterfly, yep. to know those fundamentally. Mm-hmm. Because by the time you're that age, you're swimming 
I have no idea your age, but you're swimming quite a bit. Yeah. And you're swimming more of the strokes, and you're expected to know them. Yeah. So it's realistic if you if you start swim lessons when you're three, it's realistic to be a six year old level six, level seven. Oh know, yeah. That's that's feasible. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. I oh. can't say we have any our program, but like I do believe it's feasible. Yeah. Like I just don't know ages. Yeah. It. That's that's awesome. Um, so what's, what's really interesting to me is, and I think this sort of the theme of this conversation is like, your arc to get which, to get where you are is, is such a cool story, right? Yeah. You know, you, you born with dyslexia, held back a year, you know, you and Molly growing up, she kind of overshadows you in swimming and is, you know, this athlete and you have to like sit there and like bite your, bite your thumb and watch her, watch her set records and yeah. You know, and then school's challenging, and then then you you go to college, and you know some challenge and some you know some good things happen, yeah. and and then you get to the workforce, and you have a you get a job, but yeah. the job sucks, and you don't like it, and then you get another job, and you really like it, and then you get fired, yeah, and then you know it's just this whole story brings you to this point where like where you are today, at least from my perspective, it looks like. Not only are you doing something that you are extremely passionate about and that you love so much that you're uniquely like your skill set yeah. is so perfect to do the work that you're doing. It, it's crazy that 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 wasn't what you were doing all along. Yeah, you know what exactly. I'm saying? Like I said it before, I would have laughed in your face if you had told me I'm running a swim lesson program when I graduate college when it really should have been my dream the whole time. Yeah. Like, to be running. I, I, it, I never considered... I considered a career, like, going to work, like, putting on formal clothes. Like, that's all I saw as a career. Right. I never saw swim lessons or swimming or anything in the swimming world or anything in coaching world as a career. Now I get to wear Lululemon to work. <laughs> <laughs> that's That's... That's that's really cool. Yeah. It's a it's a cool story. And I I think one of the one of the biggest lessons that I've learned from you is this idea that every single person has an extreme passion for something, an extreme talent for something, and is uniquely qualified to do something. And so if you're not if you're not in a place where if you're not doing work that you absolutely love, and if you're not excited and if you're not passion filled and if you're not excelling at what you're doing there's a there's a good chance you haven't quite found your final you know your final resting place yeah not final resting place <laughs> your, you'll find your niche i would yeah I would say. yeah and you know you gotta you gotta keep looking for it you gotta keep moving and you gotta keep 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 looking for those opportunities yeah and i was i'm starting to get better at this but like at Volunteer Fairfax when I was there, I thought I was happy. But I definitely know for a fact I never, like, internally looked in myself and asked, am I happy? Like, do I like everything about my job? Yeah. Like, now I like 99% of my job. Yeah, and, I mean, I think finding finding your passion and finding what you were meant to do on this earth, the, if you find it, if you're lucky enough to find it and you're doing it, it's still work. Oh, yeah. You know, like work is work. Yeah. I remember when we started the gym, I'm like, yeah, this is my passion. I love doing this. And I remember pulling up my email and being like, oh, no, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no, is this not my is this not my passion job? Yeah. Is this not what I'm you know meant yeah. to do? 
And it's not, it's not like that, right? I think it's, it's when you find a job that fills you with purpose and that, that you really see the impact of what you're doing, Mm -hmm. then I think, I think you're, you're closer than if you're just kind of, you know, living a a purposeless, purposeless life in in your professional career. Yeah. I think your arc is, is a real testament to that. I think it's really cool. Definitely. I, I mean, I enjoy it. And now because of like you and like, I listen to you now. I, I, I've always listened, (laughs) but like, it's that big brother, sister dynamic. Um, and you've helped me find other passions and stuff like that. So it's been really cool to help me find other passions and stuff like that. Yeah. That is cool. Yeah, you probably listen because I, I communicate to you in a, in a nicer way. <laughs> yeah, probably. I, I can't imagine why you didn't listen to me when we were I know. younger. Huh. You, don't, you don't respond to yell ats. And no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, cool, Meg. This has, been, this has been a really awesome conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time. No problem. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Any, anything to add to our uh, wildly, <laughs> amazingly huge audience? No, I mean, I'm really excited. Um, yeah, I'm just cool. super excited. Yeah, so if you're interested in swim lessons, check out Old City Swim School. That's, uh, that's oldcityswimschool.com. Old we have City, a website now. Yeah, Old City Swim School on social media. <laughs> and it's the program the program that, that Meg's been running. And it's, I mean, honestly, in, in my extremely biased opinion, it's, it's the most effective way. It's the most efficient way to get your kid water safe and give them the skills that they need to enjoy a life in and around the water. Yeah. And it's it's such it's just it's an efficient program. You can it, it is. You can teach your kid how to swim in a lot of different areas, but we're gonna get you to your to your kid's potential as quickly as, as possible, I yeah. think. And it's a ton of fun. It is a ton of fun. All right, Meg. Thanks. All right, peace. <laughs>